This is the Dave Mueller Show. Softy. Now, back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen. Someone have a tissue? Dave Softy Mueller. All right, we are back on a very busy Monday afternoon, guys, right here on 950 KJR. A lot to get to on the radio program, so don't go away between now and 630. Uh, right now, though, joining us on the radio show, he covers college sports, college football uh, for USA Today, Today, Today. Uh, the legendary, the great, the famous Dan Walken joining us right now on the radio program of the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Danny, how are you, man? Doing all right. Thanks. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I appreciate you doing this, man. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. First of all, the news today that Jim Harbaugh is going to take his team to Rome, as in Rome, Italy, for three days for spring practice this year. And I think the natural reaction is, well, I thought they banned trips like that. So what's the deal? How is Harbaugh getting away with this? Well, the vote applied uh, applies to rules starting in August. So Basically, they have, you know, a few more months or one more spring practice that they could go take a trip. And it was pretty clear that uh, they were going to take advantage of that, although I didn't necessarily think Italy was on the table. That's uh, pretty extreme to be taking 100 football players. But uh, that's what they're going to do. And so just to be totally clear on this rule, by the way, if you want to take your football team to Italy – you know, as a cultural experience, uh, this rule does not preclude, preclude you from doing that. Right. It's doing that over spring break and having football practice where, um, where the school is uh, uh, not doing, you know, is not going to be allowed to do it going forward. So um, I can't imagine the logistics of, like, trying to hold football practice in Rome, but uh, I guess they're going to try to pull it off. Well, I guess, I guess Dan, my question is uh... – the rule that is set to take effect in August, why, why, why not now? Why are they waiting for nine months to, to put that rule into place? Well, I mean, that's just the NCAA process, you know, like anything else. They have this convention in January, and there are certain things that have a you know, lead-in time for implementation because uh, people, in some cases, already have things in the works. And, you know, so there's nothing really that, they could do about this year um and that's just it's just more process than anything really deep into the weeds of ncaa minutia yeah well i mean i guess my my question and you mentioned it right there that if coaches want to take kids on international trips for cultural experiences for example the uw basketball team dan lorenzo romar a couple years ago took the kids to greece went out there played some games practiced whatever uh, is it possible that we still could see things like this that take place out of the spring break, uh, break calendar? Well, yeah, you know, look, um, there was an example uh, last week. Vanderbilt took a bunch of athletes. I think it might have been their whole football team to Washington, D.C. Yeah. for something. You know, so, like, there's a lot of things that, that you can do. Um, the issues are, you know, one, cost. that These things are not cheap. And, uh, people say, you know, everyone's got money. Well, that's not exactly true. I mean, these athletic departments are not going broke, but uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of people who, you know, have the kind of available money to take a whole football team to Italy. That's uh, just not on the table. So, um, you know, I, I think it's overall a good thing that schools would be able to provide an experience like this for, for athletes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really do. Um, but there's certain limits and things that uh, uh, people in, the, in that world are more comfortable with because they're afraid, 
if, if we, if, if, you know, if somebody else does something then we have to do it too, uh, because it's a competitive playing field and recruiting is involved and uh, everyone's got to have the biggest and the best. So um, they, they, feel like they need to have some constraints that they operate in. Yeah, well, first of all, I agree with you, Dan. Dan Walken, again, USA Today, covers college football for them with us on the air, that uh, there's obviously some schools out there that won't be able to afford to match a trip like that. I mean, Washington State, for example, doesn't have the funds that Michigan has, Ohio State, whatever. But at the same time, my, my response to those who are critical of it, I want to get your thoughts on this, would be, hey, there's also a lot of kids on that Michigan football team that without this opportunity being given to them by Michigan would never be able to afford to take a trip like that. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I think that's why the NCAA has ultimately tried to uh, relax restrictions on certain things. In fact, uh, they just passed a rule at the same convention last week that allows for schools to provide, you know, quote, reasonable entertainment for athletes during the academic year. Yeah. So what does reasonable entertainment mean? It can mean a lot of different things, um, but there's all kinds of options that people have to do things with players um, outside of the norm. And, I, yeah, absolutely. I think if, if, if this is going to be about education – then make it so that people can really have a, a total education. And I think ha- having that include foreign travel is an excellent thing. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Uh, I, I'd like to disagree with you and, and criticize Jim Harbaugh, uh, but I can't because I'm with you on this one. Dan Walken, again, from USA Today, is with us on the air. Let me throw a couple of curveballs at you, man, some other issues around college football. And you kind of mentioned the NCAA maybe kind of trying to go above and beyond and take care of these kids and, and give them as normal a life as possible. Uh, just the whole the, the whole argument for paying players or slash increasing the stipends, where are we at in, in that argument that seems to have been going on now for like a decade? Well, we're really not anywhere. You know, they, they put in that cost of attendance uh, and that was a two-year process to get that approved. And so that, now that's been there for a couple of years, and it's becoming part of the, the normal scholarship. Uh, and there's all these lawsuits that are going on that are outside uh, the NCAA right now, and uh, we'll see if any of them get settled. I think the NCAA's position is that they've satisfied the, the, um, you know, the requirements of, of the defeat in, in the O'Bannon suit while also appealing certain parts of it. Uh, it doesn't appear that that's going to be heard by the Supreme court. At least the Supreme court doesn't seem to want it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's other lawsuits that are working their way through the system, but as you know, uh, those things literally take years to come to any sort of conclusion. And, and if they do get appealed uh, and it's, you know, another few years. So it's, it's a long way of saying, like, there's really no, no nothing to tell at this point. Things seem a little more status quo yeah. right now, but that doesn't, that's not to preclude possible big changes, you know, 10 or 15 years down the road. Well, you've mentioned now a couple times uh, how monotonous and, and how slow the NCAA is to get stuff done. There's only one league out there or sport out there that I think rivals the NCAA 
from the uh, from a regards to their timeline, and that's baseball, which takes forever to get stuff done. But you wrote in the paper, uh, I think yesterday, a couple days ago, about the NCAA saying, hey, look, we're going to try and speed this stuff up when schools are under investigation and players are under investigation. We don't want these things taking months and months and months to figure out like we're all used to. How, how likely is it that that will change and that we could see a speeding up of that process? Yeah, look, the investigative process for the NCAA is a very interesting uh, environment. And part of it is that the public doesn't really know 98% of what goes on. You know, in, in a lot of investigations, a lot of cases are either, you know, looked into and dropped or uh, the, they're resolved through, you know, some other means. They're not these, you know, the Miami type case, the USC type case, uh, where it's, you know, this big public deal that seems to go on for years. And, and yeah, there are some that take a long time, but that's also in part because there's a lot to investigate and it's hard to investigate these cases. So they're always sensitive, I think, to trying to resolve these things in a timely manner, but sometimes it's just not possible. And like one of the reasons why the Ole Miss case is going on and on and on is because last year at the NFL draft, they had a player admit to taking money. So, you know, that sort of restarts certain parts of the investigation. And, you know, then they hand out the allegations and then the school gets 90 days to respond. And then other people get 60 days to respond to the response. And, you know, it's just it's just a long process. But that's just part of the price you pay for. Uh, breaking the rules. Dan, before you go, again, Dan Wolken does a great job for USA Today covering college football for them with us on the air. What's your take on what's happening out here in Seattle with Chris Peterson, year three, and he takes the dogs to the playoff against Alabama? Uh, what do you make of the job Chris Peterson's doing out here, man? Well, he's done a great job. And, you know, I think uh, especially I was around them a lot at the end of the year and in, in the playoff game. And I think they've got a great, you know, they've got a great setup there, a great culture. Uh, they, you know, have assistants who want to stay um, and, you know, be part of their their team going forward, even though now, you know, those guys are getting offers to go other places. I think they've had a good year recruiting so far, and obviously making the playoff helps expose their brand to a larger audience and get the attention of more kids. Now, obviously anyone who's been up to Seattle or been up to uh, – Husky Stadium. It's an unbelievable uh, thing that they've got to sell. It's just, you know, it's 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 gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, you know, it's obviously far away for a lot of kids. So, in terms of trying to get people to come from Texas or, uh, you know, the eastern part of the country, that that's always a challenge. But uh, they're as long as Chris Peterson's there, they're going to be a contending team in the Pac-12. And I wouldn't be surprised if they make more appearances in the playoff. But I do think that playing the game against Alabama showed them. They've got a ways to go to get to that level where they're really able to, to compete for national championships. Um, they were very good. What they did this year was uh, remarkable. Uh, but uh, I think they now know, you know, hey, we, we still have a ways to go. No question. Dan Walken, great stuff, man. Appreciate this, and we'll talk down the road, buddy. Thank you, pal. Okay, thank you. You got it. Dan Walken, USA Today. A few thoughts on the atmosphere around college football. Jim Harbaugh taking Michigan to Rome as in Rome, Italy, uh, for three days, I believe, uh, during spring football before the rule goes into effect in August that you can't do stuff like that anymore. So, hey, man, uh, I think it's a smart move by by Michigan. 
maybe Chris Peterson will throw something together. Maybe a trip to South Africa or maybe, I don't know, Russia or maybe New Zealand before this rule goes into effect in August. We're going to talk some Husky football. Uh, what's happening in recruiting? Uh, Scott Eklund, Dogman.com, is going to join us next on 950KJR. This is the Dave Muller Show. Softy. Now back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen. Jane, you ignorant slut. Dave Softy Muller. Well, some really bad news to pass along if you're a Mariner baseball fan. No! Yeah, no, it's uh, it's not not the story that I wanted to relate to you guys on the air. Or relay to you guys on the air. This must be why they're having that Excuse press me. conference. Well, it could be. I mean, you're trying to soften the blow tomorrow, I guess, with Edgar and Kevin Mather at 2.30. But bad news coming out of Safeco Field, man. Really, really bad news. Um, man, whew. This is really hard to... Uh, sorry, I'll stop the music. I, yeah, not sorry. appropriate for this. All right. Really, 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 really hard for me to say this because I know a lot of people are going to be crushed, as they should be, uh, to hear this news. Um, I mean, I don't even know what the proper way is to uh, give people this news. Rip the bandit off, Softy. Well, I guess that's the best way to go about doing it. Um Sorry to report, uh, guys, that um, Dejo Lee is going back to Korea. He's done. 14 home runs, 49 ribbies, but ribbies don't matter. Uh, 740 OPS. You Slugging percentage of 428 and a ridiculous on-base percentage of <clears throat> 312 uh, with a 253 batting average. Deho Lee has decided uh, after one year in Seattle that he is going to return to his native Korea and join a baseball team uh, in South Korea. So his career as a Mariner is uh, has come to an end. It's really too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. I hate to see that happen to a good it guy. It is too like bad. That. I've never seen a guy who uh, looked more like Babe Ruth and performed <laughs> less like Babe Ruth than uh, than Deho Lee when he was here. Fourteen bombs. Uh, you average that out over a hundred. Here we go. If, if he had played hundred and sixty-two games, uh, twenty home runs, seventy-five RBIs for Deho Lee. Not bad. And remember, last year we made a big deal on the air about the upgrade at first base because it was the Adam Lynn Deho Lee combination. That was holding down first base for the Mariners. Uh, Adam Lind had, uh, what, uh, 20 bombs, and Dejo Lee had 14. So 34 home runs between the two of them and about, what, uh, 104 RBIs between Dejo Lee and Adam Lind. But uh, they're both gone now. They're both gone. Yeah. Now they are both ex-Mariners as Dejo Lee is going back to Korea. By, by the way, the first text we got, you oh, chicken God. a hole. What? What did you think I was going to say? <laughs> Huh? Somebody who's dead for crying out loud? I don't goof around about stuff. I mean, I'm I'm crestfallen, heartbroken, depressed, crushed over the fact that Dejo Lee is going back. I think to complete the outfit, Dejo Lee should have worn his cap backwards and put a candy bar in his back pocket with chocolate all over his face and on his fingers. That would have completed the uh, the uh, the outfit for Dejo Lee. But I don't know. I mean, is this this isn't a big deal, right? The Dejo Lee's leaving. The guy had a no. 740 OPS and an on base percentage of 312. You knew he was done. It makes them slightly. Or they would less, try an upgrade. It makes them slightly less fun to watch. Oh no doubt. No because doubt. when he was in, he was just 
funny to watch. Yeah, he was a funny guy. But I, mean, I don't was, know that it really changes. Well, he, he was anything. always smiling, always seemed to have a good time. But Dayo Lee's career as a Mariner is over as he's going back to Korea. So, hey, listen, we're going to try and get a hold of Scott Eklund uh, from Dogman.com, talk some Husky football recruiting as they're just nine days away from signing day coming up next Wednesday. Uh, I want to revisit the topic that we talked about in the first hour of the radio show. See, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bring this up. We'll start getting some calls on it, and then we'll have to put the whole thing to a, a friggin' halt and start talking to Scott. So, no, well, if if we get him, we'll we'll let's set do it Scott at five forty-five or six o'clock, yeah. one or the other. Okay, because I I asked you guys to start the show today. I mean, a ton of calls on this, but couldn't spend a lot of time on it because we had Aaron Levine from Q13 uh, breathing fire, spitting blood about how stupid a location Key Arena is for a basketball arena, which he's right about, which he's correct about. So, what I asked today is okay. I don't think there's any doubt after watching the Falcons just completely crap all over Green Bay on Sunday that Atlanta is the best team in the NFC. All right, without question, I, I I think you got the two best teams in the NFL, honestly, playing in the game on uh, on the on the fifth in Houston. But if Atlanta is the cream of the crop of the NFC right now, and if they're going to be around for a while, young defense, obviously Matt Ryan's not going anywhere. Julio Jones isn't going anywhere. Is the Super Bowl window for the Seahawks still open? And if it is open, how open is it? Meaning, okay, uh, Dallas isn't going anywhere. I don't think Green Bay's going anywhere. I think Carolina is going to bounce back next year. You think a team like Washington may take a step forward. At some point, the teams in the NFC West aren't going to suck as bad as they stunk this year. They're taking a step forward. Is the window to win a Super Bowl, would you say it's closing on these guys? Or is it open? And if it is open, how open is it? Because it would be a shame. Wouldn't it be a shame to see this team only win one championship? I mean, my God, how the conversation has changed from where it was four years ago when we would have, uh, you know, French kissed a moose to get a championship (laughs) in Seattle. And now we're asking, wouldn't it be a shame if we only got one of them? And four years later, we've been riding that streak going back to 79 of not having won any major titles. And now we're talking about, wouldn't it be just terrible if this group only won one of them? Because here's my concern. My concern is that to get back to a championship window. And I think they still have a window. I'm not sure how open it is, but I think as long as you have Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and Sherman, Thomas, Chancellor, Wagner, KJ, Averill, Bennett, Frank Clark, Doug Baldwin, throw in Jimmy Graham, this team should be looking at 10 wins a year just by stepping off the bus. And if you're winning 10 games a year, then you have a great shot to make the playoffs. I know the Patriots, when Brady went down a couple years ago, when they had Matt Castle, they won 11 games and missed the postseason. That hardly ever happens. You win 10 games and you are usually going to be, it feels like nine times out of 10, a playoff team. So yeah, they still have a shot. But how big a shot is it? Because if they want to get back to that point, and I think we saw we saw this year in the NFC playoffs in both the divisional round and the championship round that there is a major difference between making the second and third round and playing in the Super Bowl. All right, look at the way Green Bay just got smacked yesterday, the way Pittsburgh got manhandled, the way the division champion in the NFC West got clocked in the second round by Atlanta. Huge, huge difference, giant gap between the teams that make the second round and the teams that make the Super Bowl. So I'll just throw that out there. But to get back to where Atlanta is right now and to get back to where the Patriots are right now, the Seahawks have got to find a way on offense to get really, really good at something. And they were really, really good at running the ball when they went to the championship game. 
two years in a row. They were phenomenal at it. One of the best running teams, if not the best running team in the NFL, for two, three years in a row with Marshawn Lynch. Now that's totally gone. And my concern is this. To fix it, you're going to have to rely on Pete Carroll and John Schneider to do something that really, quite frankly, they haven't done in Seattle. They haven't drafted great offensive linemen, and they haven't drafted great running backs. Now, look, they could obviously make a trade for somebody, go out and you know cut a deal and get an unhappy Marshawn Lynch from somebody else's team. I don't know who that is right now, but they could do that. But likely, if you're going to fix the running game, you're more than likely doing it through the draft and doing it maybe a little bit through free agency. I say a little bit because of how much money you have on this football team right now. So if you are relying on John Schneider and Pete Carroll to fix the running game through the draft, meaning fix the offensive line, find a running back that you trust, find a running back that won't get hurt, find a running back that will stay healthy, you are talking about doing something that these guys haven't done, simply put, since they've been here. I mean, look, they traded for Marshawn, but the running backs they've drafted, Robert Turbin, Kristen Michael, Spencer Ware, Kiero Small, C.J. Procise, Alex Collins, and Zach Brooks. Not exactly, you know, the Walter Paytons and Barry Sanders of the world. I mean, Spencer Ware ran for 900 yards with Kansas City this year, so he's doing it for somebody else. Can I ask you a question about that? You've, you've read those names that, they, yeah. that they've had yeah. at running back. I, yes. think, I think one thing that's a little bit unfair is that you're reading those. Well, they've never had an opportunity to prove that they were worth a damn because Marshawn Lynch has been here that whole time, except for just this year. So okay. I'm not. So what about- the one time before this year yeah. that we saw what they had there at yeah. running back, yeah. we saw Thomas Rawls for however many games it was, look great okay so without that I, I I just question this year what we saw at running back was all behind what we can all agree was a god-awful offensive line yeah so yeah I, I don't know that I'm willing to throw that they've all been failures at the running back situation but there's two I, kinds of failures there's two kinds of failures there's the running backs that don't have the talent and then the running backs that don't stay healthy right I mean, either way, you're not on the field. Either A, because you're not good enough, or B, because you're hurt. Right, but Thomas Rawls has not been able to prove he can stay healthy. Do you feel comfortable passing on a great running back in the first, second, or third round because you have confidence in Thomas Rawls to be your guy for 16 games? Well, in that, I I feel like it's way more important to get the guys in front of him taken care of than the running back. I agree with that. I I just don't – I know there are – there is that situation with an Adrian Peterson or whatever where it is worth drafting a guy – that high, I think it's so much more important to take care of that offensive line. I would be fine if they didn't draft a single running back. Okay, I, I, and you know what? I totally agree with the first part of your statement, that the offensive line is way more important. Okay, I, I think quarterbacks make wide receivers for the most part, and I think offensive lines in a lot of ways can make running backs. But you're still not addressing the inconsistent health status of Thomas Rawls. Even if you fix the offensive line – and you throw Thomas Rawls back there, he hasn't proven he can stay healthy. So you want to go to Alex Collins? Hey, maybe behind a good offensive line and 250 carries, maybe Alex Collins runs for 1,000 yards. That's four yards a carry, right? Maybe C.J. Procise puts on 30 pounds over the offseason and comes back and is a wrecking ball next year, and he stays healthy. I'm telling you, I don't agree with that. I think you need an offensive line, and I think you need to at least bring in another option at running back in case Thomas Rawls proves that he can't stay healthy again for the third year in a row. So, look, the bottom line is when San Diego had LaDainian Tomlinson, they also had a guy named Michael Turner running behind him Mm -hmm. who was ready to step in when LT retired. If they had drafted a guy like that in the last couple years, 
who they could have gone to when Marshawn Lynch retired, maybe we're not in this conversation. Maybe we see a guy with great speed, great burst, great uh, athleticism, great agility, but we know the offensive line has to be better, and if they fix that, then that guy right there has all the tools to be a great running back. I think Thomas Rawls does have all the tools to be a great running back, but he can't stay healthy. He's had two significant injuries in two years, Kevin. Don't they you, cannot rely on him don't yet. Don't you find it more concerning when there are nagging injuries over and over and over than two significant injuries? I just Look, I, I see two significant injuries, and I say, okay, that's two instances where a bad thing happened. I don't feel like – I don't know. I guess I'm just the guy that's on Thomas Rawls' island because okay, okay. I think Thomas Rawls is right. fully capable of being what they need at running back. If, they, if he stays healthy, totally agree. But I'm with I'm, you a thousand percent. But what I'm saying is I'm comfortable moving forward with Thomas Rawls as my running back, okay. period. All right. well, let's, I'll you know say what? it. Okay, let's do this then. Let's do this. Let's open the phone lines up right now at 286-9595. I, I think that the Seahawks running game, meaning the offensive line and the running backs – need to be addressed, both of them. I'm not asking the Hawks to go out and draft Leonard Fournette to move up and get him. I'm not asking the Hawks to grab Christian McCaffrey, who I think might be there, by the way, at 26 when the mm-hmm. Hawks are drafting. But I think they have to spend a significant draft pick. Maybe it's a, a second-day pick on a running back that they like because Thomas Rawls, again, just has not proven he can stay healthy. You can never have too many running backs. And if you don't have a Marshawn Lynch, you have to have a two-headed monster. Thomas Rawls and C.J. Procise, if you guarantee me right now, both those guys can stay healthy over 16 games, I love that. I love everything C.J. Procise brings from a running game perspective and a pass-catching game perspective, but I don't think that he has proven in college or the NFL that he can stay healthy. And Thomas Rawls, whether it's right or wrong, fair or unfair, nagging injuries or aberrations of injuries, he hasn't proven either that he can stay healthy. So I, I think you got to go out and get someone that you like in the, in the draft, and you have to fix the offensive line. So I just think you're asking the Seahawks to go out and do something that whether – look, you can sit here and say, well, if this didn't happen, they would have had that, that. If A didn't happen, they would have had B. If Thomas Rawls was healthy – and look, I was the guy on the air – speaking of the Rawls wagon, who was on the air last year, and you killed me for saying this, that I would take carries away from Marshawn Lynch to uh-huh. give to Thomas Rawls. And it was dumb then. That, that's, that's how much I love the guy. <laughs> okay? I mean, that, that Baltimore game yeah. when he got hurt two I, years ago. It was unbelievably dude, sad because I mean, he was so good. The guy was on pace to run for 500 yards. I mean, he was phenomenal. But he just he can't stay healthy yet. Hasn't proven that yet, so can I count on him? Can we all count on him to be that guy? Let's go to the phones. Tracy's out in Black Diamond. Tracy, you're on the air. Go ahead, man. Dave, how are you? I listened to you for a few hours today, and I have to admit, a lot of what you're saying is what I've been thinking. But I would you, know why? you know why? You know why? Because you're a smart guy, that's why. Well, actually, yeah. it's scary when I agree with you, but here's <laughs> what I'm thinking. You know, the Seahawks are a good team and will be a good team, I think, for the next three or four years. They are no longer, however, an elite team. So if the goal is to be a playoff-caliber team, then they don't have to make any changes. They're a playoff-caliber team. But if you want to get back to the elite status, they're going to have to do some things. They're going to shake this town up. Let's face it, the two most favorite athletes probably that this town ever had, I don't know, you put Edgar as one or two with Griffey, I don't know. But Russell Wilson is right there. What would Cleveland give to get a Russell Wilson? Mm. A, a short quarterback, mind you, that we got the most out of for six wonderful years. And what about Richard Sherman? 
what about some of these guys that are starting to get a little bit long in the tooth? The problem with dynasties, you have to know when to trade guys before their value gets to the point where they're just simply not worth what they're going to get paid, and they start to decrease because their skills are no longer there. In football, it's a lot faster than basketball. Seven, eight years in football is a long time. So this team's going to get old really quick. I believe in Schneider. I really believe that the guy has done a fantastic job of drafting. We can all argue about some of the mistakes. Every team makes mistakes. But overall, you give this team Cleveland's two first-round picks for Russell Wilson as an example, and you want to tell me that Cleveland wouldn't do that, I'll guarantee you they would. There's a lot of very valuable pieces on this team, and you could rebuild it very fast. However, it would cost you your fan base, and it would cost you some season tickets perhaps. And the real question is, are they willing to cost themselves a little bit of money in the short term for the long-term goal? Well, uh, I don't think so. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, to answer that question, I, I mean, I think the idea that they're going to say, well, I've, I mean, first of all, we saw it this last year. Uh, I think we saw it this last year. Nobody knows what was going on in Hugh Jackson's head. But the Browns obviously uh, were terrible. And you would think there was an opportunity there to get Joe Thomas, but it would have cost him an arm and a leg. I mean, everybody has their breaking point where they say that's ridiculous and they hang the phone up. And that may have been the case for the Seahawks. But the idea that they're going to patch things up right now and sacrifice what's going to happen four or five years from now, uh, I don't ever see this franchise doing that. I think there's really one real huge key that John Schneider and Pete Carroll try and play by every year, and that's to stay as young as possible. Okay, I mean, even now, they're still one of the younger teams in the NFL. Not the youngest, but one of the younger teams in the NFL. And they got a bunch of guys that are in year seven, year six, and year eight. So that's the key. The key to this franchise with John Steiner and Pete Carroll is always going to be the draft. It's always going to be the draft, especially more now than ever because of how much money these guys are making. But getting back to the debate that Kevin and I were having, if the run game was a problem, and it was a problem, Okay, don't kid yourself. Don't don't call this show or turn this radio show on and think the running game was anything more than mediocre because that's at at best is what it was. And that's a compliment. They may even be giving them too much credit. They have to get that fixed. Part one, offensive line. Part two, find a running back that you trust that can stay healthy. Is Thomas Rawls that guy? Do we have the guy in Thomas Rawls? All right. Uh, We got a break. Uh, we got some breaking Washington football news, by the way, to get to as well. I'll give that to you next segment. And then Scott Eklund talking some recruiting at 6. But I want to get a ton of your calls on this next on 950 KJR. This is the Dave Muller Show. Softy. Now, back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen. Anybody want to feel it? Dave Softy Muller. Favor, will you? Is the assistant program director on this radio station? I'm concerned. Don't about don't let me talk to the boss during breaks. Oh, what okay? did he say? Well, he just you know you, you go in there and he's got all these ideas. Got a great idea. Got a great idea. You know what I'm talking about, you right? Should, you should share what a great idea is this time. What's the one place that everybody needs to go to for Valentine's Day, but nobody ever wants to be seen in? Here's the deal. Furness and Puckett will do a show from Lovers Package, man. It's going to be awesome for Valentine's Day. What? Can I be honest? Um, 
that's not where I want to go. For I don't want to see Furness and Puckett broadcasting live from Lover's Package. I just have I no desire to see He that. just likes coming up with dumb ideas. No, he likes, say, he likes to put us in stupid them. situations so he can laugh at us. Right. So he wants to come up with yeah. dumb ideas because he knows that we'll say no. And then he say, well, I came up with ideas all the time and you guys always dump on them. He just wants to embarrass us. That's his job. When he wakes up in the morning... His goal in life is to humiliate his on-air staff. What if I'm going to get fired? Why don't you go broadcast from a freezer? <laughs> Why don't you go dump cold water on you from a fish freezer where it's negative 50 You degrees? added the fish part. <laughs> Why don't you broadcast from a sex shop? <laughs> it's, it's amazing you didn't die after that. It was really God. cold. Brutal. I was well, cold I, and I, I didn't lot, have water on me. I do have some news about that, by the way. Uh-oh. From the uh, ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Yeah. I lost my nipples oh. during that whole event. They're gone. They fell I'm off. Sorry. They froze and they fell off. That's too bad. In the fish freezer. Somewhere down there by the port of Seattle or whatever it's called down there. Uh, Softy's nipples are on the floor somewhere of the freezer, frozen. All right. That's disgusting. Why did you make me say that? 548 uh, uh, is the time. I, Let's go to the phone line. You so Scott Eklund. Scott Eklund will join us next segment from dogman.com to talk about Marlon Tui Pelotu decommitting from Washington. Ooh. You see this, by the way? So uh, he's the uh, best player in the state of Oregon, defensive tackle, one of the top defensive linemen in the country, and uh, just sent a tweet out about 20, 15, 20 minutes ago. Pretty good timing by us, huh? Yeah, saying that he is, uh, he's going to decommit from UW. It was a tough decision for me, and I have nothing but love for the players, the school, the coaches at the UW. Special thanks to Coach Pete and Coach Malloy as they recruited me from the beginning, and were one of the first schools to offer. I honestly wish them nothing but the absolute best in everything they do, but I'm going to USC, and I'm going to play football for Clay Helton. I'd like to know what USC was up to the last couple of weeks. Maybe nothing. Maybe it was all above board. Certainly possible. (laughs) But I'd like to know what they were up to. So that's a big blow for Pete's uh, recruiting class. We'll talk to Scott Eklund at 6 o'clock about all that stuff from dogman.com. All right, Stevie is in Edmonds. Stevie, how are you, pal? Hey, not too bad. So, so Dave, it's kind of funny. You know, the difference between being the sex – I'm going to get to the point, my point about the running back and front line, okay, offensive line. But, my God, the difference between second seed and the other was a kick. Am I right? Correct. Jeez. Oh, or, or one touchdown against the Rams in week two. Oh, my God. And, and, you know, Al Pacino said it. I'm going to tell you something. This game is a game of inches, man. And I tell you, know, and it's true. It just, I wow. replay that any given Sunday. Do that again. So, Do that again. I want to tell you something. This game is a game of inches, man. That's all you got? I Anything mean, else there? Good. I well, pissed I away the, all my money. Anything else there? Let me, let me tell you something. Uh, Franco Harris, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, Tony Dorsett, Walter Payton. What do they have in common? I think they were drafted, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, look, you want to find a Hall of Fame running back as a free agent, undrafted free agent, that's yeah. fine, but what are the odds of that happening? Can we start listing off bad running backs that have been drafted? That's a Correct. terrible example. Yes. Come on. Kristen Michael, well, you know, second round, drafted directly ahead of Travis Kelsey, by the way. So here's my, here's my thing. Don't, don't deem me insane and, and commit me, right? But isn't Le'Veon Bell a free agent? Uh, that I don't know. You mean Garrett Blunt? Well, I, I, I heard a rumor that uh, Le'Veon Bell was a free agent. Who'd you uh, hear that from? Did... The guy down the street? <laughs> huh? Jerry? Did Jerry tell you that? No, the guy that sells me pot. You know, I don't know. One of those guys on, the, on Highway uh, 99 Aurora. But, 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 but seriously, I, the front line has got to be addressed first and foremost. And then as far as the running back goes, you're right. You, listen, we have 10 fun tokens as NFL players, and you use them up through your 
career and you don't get that back. It's like starting with a full tank and you don't get the gas up. And I'd say four or five years tops, you know, the way the game is today. Yeah. And I'd say get some fresh, you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. L- l- uh, let me do this. Go back to your weed from your buddy Jerry who told you that <laughs> the, who the free agents are. So, first of all, Steve is correct. Le'Veon Bell is a free agent, unrestricted free agent. Here are the list of unrestricted free agents in the NFL. And this um, – there may have been a minor change to this, but this is the list I have. Matt Asiata, uh, Joy Bell, Le'Veon Bell, LeGarrette Blunt, uh, Rex Burkhead, Reggie Bush is a free agent. Somebody out there, we'll talk about him because of Pete Carroll and the USC connection. Niall Davis, uh, let's see, Justin Forsett is available. Tim Hightower is available. Jonathan Grimes, Ronnie Hillman, Chris Johnson, Eddie Lacy, Dexter McClooster, Darren McFadden, Kristen Michael. You want to bring him back a third time? Latavius Murray is available. Um, that's about it. Denar- uh, Jacquez Rogers, C.J. Spiller, you can bring him back if you want. Stephon Taylor. So, well, I mean, look, you want to make a run at Le'Veon Bell? Great. Make a run at Le'Veon Bell. The problem with Le'Veon Bell is his running style doesn't exactly fit this offensive line, do you think? I mean, the guy's the most patient running back in the world, and you want to put Le'Veon Bell behind this, this offensive line waiting for holes to open, he'd be in the backfield for four hours waiting for something to open up. Uh, let's go to uh, Rob in Auburn. Rob, you're on the air. Go ahead, man. Hey, Dave. Man, I about ran my car off the road a few minutes ago. I thought I heard somebody suggesting we might trade Russell Wilson for a pick. Yeah, you know what I did uh, to that call? I just ignored it. Well, I'm, I'm amazed he used his five minutes at the asylum to make that phone call. But anyway... On the Rawls thing, I agree 100% with Shockey, and I'll tell you why. I don't think that two injuries in two years is a pattern. Now, if it's if you tell me maybe we're going to trade Rawls for some established couple years older guy, well, now I'm listening. But to, to think that we're going to just take a chance in the draft again, mm-hmm. find another running back, it's, it's too risky. Rawls is solid if he's healthy, as you said, you agree. And now if this happens, he breaks his leg next year, okay, I'm with you. Yeah. But two in two years, I'm not there yet. Well, let me ask you this. So, so well, you know what? Never mind. I was going to ask you what happens if you pass on somebody and Rawls gets hurt again. I mean, you have to bring in, I think, another option for at least some competition. Uh, and that's going to happen. You know as well as I, Rob, and I appreciate the call, buddy. They're not going to go to camp next year with Collins, Procise, and Thomas Rawls, and that's it. First of all, the roster is going to be at 90 guys, so you'll see probably three or four guys brought in. But I just think that, you know what, I haven't seen enough from Thomas Rawls health-wise to feel really great about the running back spot and haven't seen enough from C.J. Procise to feel really great about the running back spot. And maybe my standards are too high, and maybe I'm being – ridiculous and I I'm with all you guys I mean there was no bigger fan of Thomas Rawls last year than me I was the guy suggesting that Marshawn Lynch should lose carries so Thomas Rawls could play that's how much I love the guy but he's got to show he can stay healthy man let me get one more call and we'll get to a break Taylor's out in Fremont you're on the air buddy go ahead hey um hey thanks for having me on I just want to talk about the running back position a little bit more it's yep. got to have the shortest lifespan in the career of like any NFL player I mean the ask for a running back are pretty extreme, I think. And everybody gets injured throughout the season. Yeah. I don't think there's one uh, there's one player on the Seahawks, I would say, otherwise. And, mm-hmm. I mean, with taking such a beating, uh, I think a Marshawn or a Zeke or, you know, look at Adrian Peterson. I think you put him in the conversation as one of the best backs ever, but he's had, like, three knee surgeries. So, I mean, it's really hard, I think, to stay healthy. And then, two, 
the practices they can practice with pads one day a week and evaluating that at a collegiate level yeah. to find another Marshawn or a Zeke is is a big is I think it's a lot harder than we would imagine. I mean, what about like a dual threat? Like have a couple of couple of running backs back there that are more situational, take some of the load off. Mm-hmm. Just want to get your thoughts on that. I know you got a break coming yeah. up, but uh, no, totally, thanks man. For, I mean, thanks for taking my call. No, I man. I, look, I mean, you're on the right path for me. I mean, I'm not I I'm not really high on spending you know top ten, top fifteen picks on running backs unless they're really, really, really special guys. I mean, really special guys. And I'm not convinced that Leonard Fournette, who also was hurt, by the way, is a really, really special guy to use a top 10 pick on. I mean, top 10 picks to me are, are left tackles. They're defensive ends. They're quarterbacks. Uh, they're interior linemen uh, on the defensive, defensive tackles, you know, wrecking balls. Those are the guys that you go after. But, you know, maybe it's just because he's a Pac-12 guy. But I don't know, man. I'm watching Joe Williams. I, I, I realize he quit at one point on Utah, but then came back, so there's that issue to worry about. But, man, I love the way that guy runs the ball. And if you can grab a guy like that in the fourth or fifth round, absolutely I'd do it. I'm not ignoring the running back position in the draft. That's what I'm telling you. 557, Scott Eklund. Major blow to UW recruiting today, by the way. We'll tell you about it next with Scott on 950 KJR. I got to kick this thing off. Yeah. Can I kick it off? Yeah. One, two, three, four. All right, we are back 604 on a Monday night right here on 950 KJR. So, some news from the UW world to report from the Carter Volkswagen studio here on 950 KJR. Five-star defensive tackle from Oregon. Uh, One of the top defensive tackles in the country. Certainly the best player, I think, in the state of Oregon. Marlon Tui-Pelotu has decommitted from Washington and is going to play football at USC. Uh, and right now, what a great time to have our next guest on the air. Actually, this works out better. Scott was supposed to be here at 520, but maybe you wanted to wait until the Marlin news came out so we could uh, discuss that on the radio show. Scott Eklund from Dogman.com is with us on the show. How are you, man? I, I'm good. I'm good. I, I know a lot of Husky fans, especially the recruit Knicks, aren't uh, real thrilled right wow. now, but uh, I'm good. Well, listen, stuff happens. I mean, you got Joe Tryon, who was going to Wazoo. You got Bishop Sankey, who was going to Wazoo a couple years ago. This kind of thing happens. Nothing's for certain until signing day, which is next Wednesday. But how how big a loss is this to lose Marlon Tui-Pelotu to USC? Well, there's really no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, this is a big loss, and I'm I'm sure up at Montlake, the coaches were not thrilled with how things kind of went down on this. And and you know, Washington did a great job of getting Marlon to commit to them um, when back in the spring. It was like in May, I believe, when he committed to the University of Washington. And even when they told him, you know, ahead of time, they're like, "Hey, we don't want you to commit to us unless you're." 100% in, we don't want you going back on your word, and, and the kid said, I, I really want to go to the University of Washington. And at that time, he had an offer from USC, so it's not like USC wow. came in late and offered. He had an offer at that time from, gosh, pretty much everybody in the Pac-12 except for Stanford, and I think he had offers from you know Texas and Oklahoma and, and Michigan, I believe, it offered him as well. So he had offers from all over the country, and when he chose Washington, that really sent some shockwaves up and down the West Coast that Washington was able to reel in a guy like this. And then over the course of everything, you know, over the, the course of the season and, and uh, into January, he was all UW all the time, taking pictures at the Army All-American game and all that kind of stuff. And we talked to him last week. He said he was 100% ready to be a Husky and everything like that. 
and then something kind of changed, and, and there's some stuff going on in the background that um, mm. just I don't feel comfortable discussing on the radio at this point in time because <laughs> we don't have a lot of confirmation. But there's some stuff going on in the background, and I'm not saying it's illegal or anything like that, but some of it's a little on the uh, huh. shady side. Let's just put it that way. And um, Wow. You know, so it, there, there's just some stuff going on that I think we're, that was kind of out of Washington's control and – and it just sounds like he called the Husky coaches today and told them that I'm not going to the University of Washington. Thanks for the opportunity. And yeah. he just announced on his Twitter page earlier today that, or, yeah, Twitter, that he was uh, going to be decommitting and committing to USC. Well, look, I mean, I can certainly see why a guy would want to go to USC. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to blame a kid for getting a chance to go play football in, in L.A. and play for that program. That certainly looks like they're on the come. But I, I guess my question is, and you said you didn't want to really get into details as far as what went down in the last couple of weeks in L.A., but if there was something happening that was against the rules, that was illegal, um, is that something that Washington would even be a part of reporting? Or would they say, hey, we lost the kid, that's it, let's move on and not even worry about it? I don't see Washington, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I, don't, I see very few coaches out there who are going to um, try and report something uh, like this unless it was so egregious that um, it didn't, that it didn't pass muster. Um, I, I see Peterson as a guy who's got that short memory. Um, he just he, we're going to move on and we're going to get guys who want to be Huskies. To make no mistake, they wanted Marlon Tuipolotu, and he's a very good kid and a very good player. And I know a lot of people think this makes him a bad kid. Oh, this whatever. does not make him yeah. a bad kid. There's a lot of things that went into playing this. But that being said, I I have a feeling Washington's just going to let it go and move on and look forward to next year recruiting some yeah. big-time guys. Well, look, I mean, obviously when things like this happen, you wonder how it happened. And, you know, I mean, there's a million things that could happen. I mean, other schools have offered family members jobs, for example, things like mm-hmm. that. And there's no proof of any of that stuff right now that anybody feels comfortable talking about. But, I mean, look, I'm not going to – I mean, to me, hey, good luck to them, whatever. You know what? You don't want to go to UW, then you go to USC, and we'll worry about kicking your ass on game day when we play in the next four years. So – uh, they still have, I think, if I'm looking at this right, and we'll find out officially next Wednesday. And Scott Eklund, again, dogman.com with us. Is it 10 four-star guys locked in right now? Yes, I believe that's what it is, 10 four-star guys. Okay, so with uh, Tui Pelotu now off the class, uh, does Hunter Bryant kind of become the crown jewel? Elijah Molden, what's your take on that? Boy, I, you know, those are two really good guys. You also have Savon Ahmed from Juanita High School. That's yep. another big-time guy that they – that they signed. He was an Army All-American as well. Uh, Ty Jones is only a three-star, but he was the guy who was one of the most impressive wide receivers at the Army All-American game uh, a couple weeks ago. So Washington has done very well on the recruiting front. Henry Bainavalu, you could throw him in there from Skyline, the offensive lineman. He's a four-star guy. Brandon McKinney is the number one safety on the West Coast, um, and he's out of Cal Lutheran or uh, Orange Lutheran down in down in uh, California. So there's there's a lot of really good players, but I guess the bell cow you could probably say Hunter Bryant yeah. is that guy because he's number two tight end in the entire country, right? And uh, you know he's the guy who's going to come in, and I a lot of us think he's going to play right away. He's just too good to keep off the field. Uh, they got what one, two, three, four, five, six, nine, ten. I'm counting thirteen, fifteen guys locked in right now. How much will that number grow or not grow by Wednesday? guys committed in this class um ollie gay who's an offense or i'm sorry a defensive lineman from edmonds woodway um has kind of come into the picture for washington recently 
Um, he had some academic questions that have been, I think, resolved, and I think the coaches felt very comfortable in offering him. He's 6'6", he's 250, 260 pounds, and uh, just <clears throat> a, a monster on the football field. And he's a guy that Washington had wanted for a long time. I think it was a lot of it had to do with the academic issues that got finally got resolved. He took a visit last weekend. Uh, we're still trying to catch up with him. He's planning a trip down to Mississippi, but Washington has an in-home visit with him later this week. I believe it's either Wednesday or Thursday. And if that happens, I have a feeling they're going to try and lock him up and uh, not let him go down, or, you know, not get him to not take that visit to Ole Miss. The other guys to keep an eye on are uh, uh, Nick Ford. He just uh, took a visit this past weekend. He's out of San Pedro, 6'6", 270 pounds, I believe, is, is his height and weight right now. Offensive lineman out of San Pedro that's really kind of boosted his stock over the past couple couple months and uh, Washington had him up. But the thing is, Utah has promised him the chance to play uh, defensive line, and that's kind of his preferred position. So Washington's going to be meeting with him tomorrow as an in-home visit down in San Pedro mm. uh, in Southern California to see if he's, he's going to be an offensive lineman for them or go to Utah and be a defensive lineman. But take, take note of this. Washington just offered a Husky legacy today. Kirkland's kid. Uh, yeah, Jackson Kirkland. And that kid uh, really has blown up this year. Uh, he's 6'7", about 320 pounds, 310 pounds, and plays uh, left tackle at Jesuit High School. I believe they won the state championship last year, this past fall. And uh, he's a really good player. The, the, the problem with him was there was some concerns about can he – be mobile enough and what like the like what Washington wants their offensive lineman to be but I think Washington really likes the fact that he's a legacy he's going to come in and he's going to work hard he's got a great work ethic and have you seen a picture of this kid no go look at a go look up a face picture of him you can go on our site on on dogman.com and look him up he looks like do you remember Jaws from uh Moonraker uh, yeah he looks like that guy's son <laughs> I'm dead serious. So he's got metal teeth? No, he doesn't have metal teeth, oh. but that's the only difference. What the hell are you talking about? Huh? Look him See, up. The guy looks like Jaws' son from Moonraker, the old James Man, Bond Shockey, look it up as we're wow. talking right now, and what? he'll he'll agree with me. What's his first name again? Jackson, J-A-X-S-O-N. Jackson Kirkland. And, and uh, which high school is he out of? He's out of Jesuit High School down in uh, Portland. Jackson Kirkland. Hey, I'm going to look it up right now. Jesuit okay. High School. <laughs> but, but, I mean, while you're looking that up, I mean, that, those are kind of the last three guys that we can kind of look at. There might be one that comes out of the woodwork where we're hearing some other guys. Holy talk. crap! Am I wrong? Wow! Am I wrong? That is one ugly SOB. <laughs> and that's exactly what I want my offensive lineman to look like. Exactly. But Wow! No, that's beautiful. That's that's. I mean, when I mean ugly, I mean pretty. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but he does look like that guy's son, right? He sure does. He, he sure does. does. Well, there's some there's some Dean Kirkland stories, by the way, that are sitting in the closets like skeletons that may have to come out if this guy yeah. goes to UW. All right. Hey, by the way, real quick, you mentioned Hunter Bryant, uh, the tight end, is a kid that could play right away. Who else in this class? And we'll talk again next week on signing day. I think. Who else in this class do you think could uh, maybe hit the field right away? Oh, boy, I, I think you could probably possibly talk about Brandon McKinney, the safety that we I kind of talked about earlier. He's 6'1", 195 pounds out of uh, Orange Lutheran. 
He uh, is, like I said, the number one safety on the West Coast, number one safety in California. And he, uh, I, I just think with Buda Baker leaving early, you've got Ezekiel Turner, JoJo McIntosh, and maybe one other guy that you could throw in there at safety. But Or, geez, Taylor Rapp, obviously. But Brandon McKinney might be a guy who finds his way into the, into the two deeps okay. at safety. Okay. So he's one. I think you might uh, see Ty Jones because he's a wide – actually, any of the three wide receivers Washington brought in because uh, they're losing John Ross, so they don't have that speed guy right now. Terrell Bynum actually has that extra gear. He's out of uh, St. John Bosco, but Ty Jones is 6'4 and about 205 pounds, and he can go up and get it. Alex Cook is 6'2, 180 pounds. He's another guy that can go up and get it. So any of those three guys could see their way to the field. I don't think that Elijah um, Molden will, will get on the field just because Washington's done really well recruiting at the cornerback position, but of the cornerbacks between him and Keith Taylor, I think Elijah Molden would be the more likely okay. guy to, to be able to find playing time. All right. Year. Hey, real quick, Scott Eklund, dogman.com, Connor Weddington, Sumner. Um, what's he doing? Uh, he's get, Well, I mean, my prediction, and it has been this for a while, uh, is that he's going to go to Stanford. Yeah. Um, has this scholarship uh, offer been pulled by UW, by the way? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say that it's been pulled because I don't know if they formally told them you no longer have an offer here. But um, from everything I'm aware of, there. Washington is not an option for for uh, Connor uh, Weddington anymore. Scott, are you telling me that if Connor Weddington called Chris Peterson right now and said, "Coach, I changed my mind. I want to go to Washington," he would say no. I'm I'm saying that <laughs> it's hard to in, in this business. It's hard <laughs> to say never say never. But what I'll say is there would have to be a lot of discussion going on between those two parties, between Washington and Connor Weddington. I don't see it as being an issue. He's going to go to Stanford. He was there, I think, this past weekend or yeah. maybe two weekends ago when, yeah. he, when he went down for his official visit. He One of the things about Connor Weddington is he never really got the chance to go through the recruiting process. Um, Washington offered him back in the spring, and they kind of gave him a deadline to make his decision. Otherwise, they were going to move on. Well, he made his quick decision, and w- when you – when you have that happen to you, sometimes when other schools start showing you interest, especially a school like Stanford, you want to give yourself a chance to actually go see some other things. And I, I think that's what really lured him out. I, I think it was that plus the education. And, and I, I just think that Washington wasn't down for that. And they, they said, all right, well, if you want to do that, go ahead and go, yeah. go do your thing somewhere else. Got it. All right, man. Great job. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk next week. Appreciate this, man. Not a problem. You guys have a good one. Thanks for being right. patient with me. You, Sorry bet, about that. you bet, man. That's fine. Uh, so Marlon Tui Pelotu, who's the five-star defensive tackle from Oregon, which would have been, I think, the number one player in the Huskies recruiting class next year, decommitted today and said, I'm going to go play for USC uh, instead of going to Washington. So bad news from the Huskies recruiting front from that regard, uh, but still have 10 four-star guys locked in as of now. That could change by Wednesday for next year. All right, Mike Holmgren. You're going to hear his thoughts on what happened over the weekend of the conference championship games as well as Hugh Millen coming up on a busy Monday, baby, on 950 KJR.